receiving incoming transmission. Welcome back. It feels good to be home. Radical Christians. Welcome back everybody to the Radical Christian YouTube channel. It's me, Drew, and I have been a busy little butterfly lately. Running around, fluttering around, doing all kinds of things. I've made maybe four conference presentations in the last month or so. Something like that. But the Lord is good. Even in these hard times, there's still work to be done for the body. It's a blessing to be this busy in this way, and I'm glad I get to serve you guys and serve the Lord through serving you. So what I'm gonna do today is give you a little snippet from my upcoming presentation at the Georgia conference coming up. Now this conference, I'm excited because it's in person. When's the last time you met in person? So let's lay out the details for this conference and then I'll tell you what I'm gonna go over of my presentation there. So this is the 2020 Southern Appalachian Last Call Prophecy Conference. Tickets are $69 per person. It is October 30th through November 1st, so the last weekend of this month. And it is at Freedom's Light Church of God. That is in Ball Ground, Georgia. So who's gonna be there? You got Russ Dizdar, shadowdarkness.net. You got L.A. Marzuli. You got Pastor Bill Flynn. You got Tom Dunn. Spiritual Warfare, Deliverance Much, and you got Drew Graffia. You know what I'm about. So it's gonna be exciting. L.A. Marzulli will be there virtually. Now obviously I have a slide up behind me where you can get all this info. And as for the slides today, guys, because these were made for a conference presentation, um, I may be covering some of the info, but what can you do? That's what you get with free content, right? Now let's enter into a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this moment right now. We don't know what we're promised. We are not promised tomorrow. And we just thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you move over this show and you help convey the things you want that glorify you most and you let everything else fall by the wayside. Please bring somebody specifically, please bring multiple people specifically closer to you through this episode and the next one after this. We love you, Father God. Thank you so much. We will keep serving you until you show up and bring us into the, into the fullness of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we are. Let's get into the battle plan for the second presentation I'll be giving at this conference. Now, I'm going to tell you everything I'll be talking about in that presentation, but then I'm going to get into a specific section to give you a preview, a little taste, see what it tastes like. So this is called... The last chance moment. My presentation is called The Last Chance Moment. So let me define what the last chance moment is for you. Basically, it's the moment where God gives you an ultimatum or he gives you your last chance. So you think of Samson when he broke his Ninevite vow, that was his last chance to do things the easy way. You think of the people in Noah's day, uh, Jonah, you think of things like that. So that's the last chance moment. So I highlight some of those in the Bible and I dig into what to do about them, how to apply it to your life. So. The last chance moment. Section one, those who ignored the last chance moment. In that we have Noah, the people of Noah's day, humanity's first last chance moment. We have Saul, when the fire burns out, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Samson, when vows are broken. What kind of vows? Ninevite vows. Mm. Now section two, those who heeded the last chance moment. 
You have David. What was his last chance moment? I guess you'll have to see you in Georgia. That's called Living by the Fire. Two, Jonah, Upholding the Vows. Now, this is the one we're going to get into today. And three, The Power of the Holy Spirit. Now, section three, why this matters, I get into the real rapture, the only 100% provable rapture. And number two, what to do until the king returns. So the goal of this presentation I'll be giving is to identify several last chance moments in the Bible and see what we can learn about them for application in our own lives. Because if you can't apply it to your life, then whatever, it's useless. And number two, to learn what we can about being prepared for the return of the king. Now let's get into our Jonah section. Jonah upholding the vows. So Jonah was a prophet of God who was called upon to preach a last chance warning message to the barbarous and cruel people of Nineveh. They were told to either repent or die. Jonah had no desire for the Lord to save such an evil city, so he fled from the Lord. Now let's look at Jonah 1, 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now what happened here? Jonah decided to defy the Lord and flee from his presence. The reason being is, this was a city of barbarians. This was a city of cruel people who would murder people, just complete, you know, not godly people. And to think of the atrocities they've done to the Jews and many other people, Jonah did not want these people to, to get out unscathed. He didn't want them to get to basically enter into salvation and not pay for what they've done. Now, a couple things to note is when you come to God, you get a clean slate. That's what God wants. God wants a clean slate. Now, keep in mind, he's also a just judge. So people will get what he determines they deserve. But if he lets people go, if he pardons people, wouldn't you like to be pardoned for all your sins? Now, even though Jonah understood this about the Lord, he still was stubborn. He did not want to do this. Now, it is a terrible thing to be on the opposite side of what the Lord wants. And many of you know, and, and I know this as well. Now, when Jonah was in the boat, on his way fleeing from Tarshish, the Lord sent a crazy storm, crazy waters to disturb him. Now, they were, he was on a ship of pagans, and these pagans were fearful. And they were, they were saying, oh, let's all pray to our gods. What do we do? What do we do? And they're like, oh, there's a guy, Jonah, down, down in, the, in the, the bottom of the ship. Let's go talk to him, ask him to pray to his God. So when they do that, they see that he was just completely given over to his fate. He didn't care. Now, when they alerted him, there was a storm going on and they wanted him to pray to his gods. Jonah said, you know what? I know what's going on here. It's me. It's my fault. It's because I'm disobeying my God and my God is the one true God. So that is why he's sending these, these waves to get me to turn back. So he did something very kind. He said, just throw me overboard. I'm done. I, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm not going to go back to Nineveh. So I might as well just die. So Jonah 1, 15 through 16 says, So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now what is this vow? This is the vow to serve the Lord, basically to, to become a Christian. Now the reason why this section is called Upholding the Vows is because Jonah made this same vow when he became a Christian. It's the vow we all make. You know, it's the vow of, I vow to serve you the way you want to be served, Lord. Now these pagans, through Jonah's disobedience, God chose to save these pagans, to bring them into a fear of him. That's, that's amazing, that's wonderful. That's, 
even in disobedience, God can use us. That's why a lot of people, you hear false preachers and you'll hear wolves in sheep's clothing preaching stuff. Some of it, a lot of it wrong, but then you'll see people get saved or you'll see people actually get healed in a fake healer's congregation. Now, why is that? That is because God works despite who's preaching his message. You know, when they talked, I believe it was Paul saying, oh, these people are preaching, you know, false messages, blah, 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 with ill motives, with bad intentions. And then Paul said, hey, at least the gospel's being preached. You know, God still will show up if he wants to. And that's, that's an exciting thing about our God, among many. But that's a really exciting thing because it, it defies logic. Now, with these pagans, this could have very well been their last chance moment. This could have been the moment, the last moment they had to, to heed any kind of calling from the Lord. So I would say if this was their last chance moment, they accepted it. They took it. They decided, I am no longer a pagan. I will serve the one true God. Does that mean their theology clicked over right away? No, not likely. But they became Christians. Now, here's Jonah's last chance moment. A giant fish swallowed him. That is terrifyingly disgusting. That is, whew, just picture being in the deep, the dark, raging sea. The sea is not human's domain, basically. That's not, you don't belong underwater, you belong breathing air. And there's just this unknown creature. I think the thing that, that inspires so much creepiness and fear in people about the ocean is that it's not a place where we are meant to live. And so the creatures there move super quick. They're super adept at everything in that water and we are completely out of our element. So, and then just the mystery of it, you know, we know more about the surface of the moon than the bottom of the ocean. So just imagine the disgusting creatures are down there. Leviathan, is Leviathan down there? Is he, is she, is Leviathan a girl? I don't know. Now here, there are two main theories of what happened to Jonah when he went into the sea and was swallowed by the fish. Theory number one, some believe that during his stay inside the belly of the fish, God allowed him to survive the stomach acids, eating his flesh, you know, um, digesting him basically, and two, allowed him to survive without any oxygen. Now this is nothing for our God. He can do this in a heartbeat. So this is a viable theory. Why? Because he's an all powerful God. So that's nothing for our God to keep somebody alive inside of a fish in impossible circumstances because everything's possible with God. So that is not some fable or fairy tale type of option. That is a very viable option. Now, the second viable option is that he actually died inside of the fish and his spirit left and went into the underworld. Now, there's several reasons why this could be the thing. Now, one of these reasons is in Jonah 2.2, it says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And the word used here for belly comes from the Hebrew word beten, which can also refer to the depth of Sheol, AKA, the underworld or the grave. Now, another point is that in Jonah 2, 5 through 7, it is said that he went down to the roots of the mountains into the land whose bars closed upon him forever. Now, that verse, it says, it's Jonah 2, 5, 6. It says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from the pit, O Lord my God. Now the phrase used here is Eretz Beriach, Olam, which can be translated as the earth's city gates, fortress, or prison of long duration and antiquity perpetually held me. So what does that sound like? That sounds like the entrance to the underworld, the gates of the underworld, you know, in the spiritual realm. 
Now after this, Jonah prayed to the Lord and in this theory, he would be restored to his body and then vomited up on the shore. Now, another thing that kind of points to this is Jesus and the sign of Jonah. So let's look at that. So Jesus used Jonah's last chance moment as a sign for his death and resurrection. Now in Matthew 12, 40, he says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So right here, you can see when Jesus went down to the underworld, he went down to the underworld, his spirit was alive, his body was dead. Now, if he's using Jonah as a sign, it would, it would stand to reason that Jonah maybe went to the underworld. Very interesting. Now, just like Jonah, Jesus was restored on the third day. Luke 24, 7 says that the Son of Man may be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. Now, Jesus also did one of the coolest things in the Bible while he was physically dead. And this is often one of the most misinterpreted things in the Bible. If you're watching this channel for any length of time, if you've been watching, you likely know this. Or if you've read good old Gilbert's work. So let's look at 1 Peter 3, 18-19. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. So he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. A lot of people think this meant that the people that sinned in the days of Noah, the humans, who were then stored away in the underworld, he went to go preach the gospel to them. Okay? Now there's some issues with that. It is appointed to man once to die, then the judgment. So you think about somebody dying and then hearing the gospel? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a stretch. I don't really believe that. But he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison. So who are these spirits in prison? Who could they possibly be? Do we have anywhere in the Bible that mentions spirits being locked up? Yep. Now, 2 Peter 2, 4. For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. So right here, angels, spiritual beings, there's our spirits, chained in chains of gloomy darkness, there's our prison. There's our prison. And where is this? This is in Tartarus. Now we see in Jude 6, the angels, there's our spirits, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains. There's our prison under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So these are in the abyss. These are in Tartarus. These are in the underworld, the, the, the spiritual holding cell for divine criminals. And these were the same rebellious sons that took part in the second rebellion. That is the Genesis 6 event. And these are the ones who brought depravity and the Nephilim into the world. Now, they were imprisoned for choosing to disobey God and their last chance moment. So their last chance moment was of their own creating. It's when they decided to make that pact, that oath on Mount Hermon, Hermon, whatever it is, on Mount Hermon. Maybe it's because I have my new Pee Wee Herman haircut that I keep saying Mount Hermon. <laughs> but anyways, he went and preached to these spirits in prison. Now the word used for preach here is caruso. Now what does it mean? It means to be a herald, to officiate as a herald, to proclaim in the manner of a herald, and it all, it's always with a suggestion of formality, gravity, and authority, which must be listened to and obeyed. Now, what is a herald? A herald, you think of medieval times, somebody with a trumpet, is an official messenger bringing news. Now, let's look at this quote from Britannica.com. Herald, originally an officer in medieval Europe, charged with carrying messages to and from the commanders of opposing armies. Opposing armies. 
You think of God's army, the divine council, us, the human extension of the divine council at one point. And who is the opposing army? The rebellious sons of God. So what does this mean? So now Noah was quoted as being a herald of righteousness. Jesus became a herald of victory. This event listed was Christ proclaiming victory as a herald to his enemies. This was not him preaching the gospel. This was him proclaiming victory. Could he have said the gospel message? Yeah, he could have. But this was him proclaiming his victory. Now let's look at a quote from Reversing Herman by Michael Heiser. It says, 1 Peter 3, 14-22, has Jesus descending to these same spirits to tell them that they are still defeated despite his crucifixion. God's plan of salvation and kingdom rule had not been derailed. In fact, it was right on schedule. The crucifixion actually meant victory over every demonic force opposed to God. That's the opposing army. This victory de declaration is why 1 Peter 3, 14-22 ends with Jesus risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of God above all angels, authorities, and powers. Praise the Lord. That is, that is victory. That is our Lord. We, we should be happy and excited in his victory. You know, we definitely benefit from it. But just think of, of God sending his son to die. His son dies, but then wait. So he just saw his son die. You think that didn't break his heart? Of course it did. But then he goes down and proclaims victory to his rebellious sons, the ones who've been tearing the world down. You know, that's, that's heavy. So Jesus was put to death physically, but remained alive spiritually. Now let's get back to Jonah. So Jonah eventually went and upheld his vow as a prophet to speak God's message to Nineveh. And what resulted from that is not only the pagans on the boat being saved, but the entire city of Nineveh. And the verse also says, and much cattle. He cares about the animals. But the entire city of Nineveh put on sackcloth, put ashes on their face, and they repented. Imagine if America repented. Can you even picture that? Imagine if America, everybody in America just decided, you know what, we are wrong for all this. The murdering of, of children, the trafficking of children, you know, all the crimes we commit, we're wrong for them and we repent. And everybody repented. You can't even imagine that. You can't even imagine non-Christians coming to that conclusion. But that's what happened with Nineveh. And see, nothing is impossible with God. So generations and generations of people will now have eternal life due to Jonah and, and his obedience, his eventual obedience to the call. Now, you know, Jonah was disobedient at first, but he eventually went and obeyed. He listened to the last chance moment. He came out of that fish with a new perspective on life and he went and preached to Nineveh. Now there's that verse, I don't know the exact verse, but the one that talks about, you know, which servant is better, the one that says he'll do it and then doesn't, or the one that gripes about it and then eventually does it. It's the one who does it. It's the one who follows through with his faith. So what will you keeping your vows lead to? And how many people will be saved or condemned by your actions? Think about that. Now this is just one snippet from one of two uh, presentations I'll be presenting the end of this month. I cannot wait. Let's go ahead and look at the details again for the conference. The price is $69 per person. It is October 30th through November 1st. It is at Freedom's Light Church of God in Ballground, Georgia. You got Russ Dizdar, Bill Flynn, L.A. Marzulli, Tom Dunn, Drew Graffia. Now, the, the, the pastor here, Jeff Farster and his family, great people of God, amazing man of God, great, real, just real people. I love them. They are like family now, no joke. I went there, that was the first conference I ever did. And that was a year ago. Um, 
they they're it's a blessing to even be around them so i highly suggest you go too you know what else are you gonna do you know buy buy the online watch it with your family get some snacks some non-gmo snacks if you can which don't exist i'm just kidding but you know this is a great time to be alive you know why because this craziness is is leading to many seeking the lord many seeking the lord and you know what we were told it's going to get crazy and it could get very crazy for us as christians here you know, let's say if there is no pre-tribulation rapture, what if it's pre-wrath? What if it's post-tribulation? Okay, either way, we still have a duty. If if you are going to be here during the tribulation, if that's what happens, then you should know that the fact that God created you at this time meant he knew you were going to be here during that time. So take take up great heart. Take up the Lord's heart. And just remember, we have a job to do, the Great Commission, and loving your spouse, loving your kids, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving God. Be God to everyone around you. That doesn't mean you have to go spend your whole life out in the streets evangelizing, that's all you do. But what it means is start in your home. You know, let your good character be a witness to your children and to your wife. If they're already believers, then be the best Jesus to your wife. I'm working on that every day. So thank you guys for sitting down with another round of The Radical Christian and Lord willing, I will have a special interview for you next week. I'm excited. So praise the Lord. Thank you guys. And as always, stay rad.